If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. to Pragmatic Institute's Data Chat Series, where we bring in leading practitioners and thought leaders in the space to share their insights on how to use data and how to have the biggest impact in your organization and on its strategy. I'm Eddie Gordon, courseware designer at Pragmatic Institute and today's host. Many of you are familiar with Pragmatic Institute, but for those of you here for the first time with us, Pragmatic Institute is the transformational partner for today's businesses. We provide immediate impact through actionable and practical training. We focus on building expertise and collaboration within and across data, design, and product teams. That allows organizations like yours to accelerate innovation, grow revenue, and improve customer satisfaction and drive success. And with that, I get to read the very impressive bio of our guest today. He's grinning. The aha joke. It's quality. Continue. Yeah, yeah, quality (laughs) stuff. That's the high level of entertainment we offer here at Pragmatic Institute. Our guest today, the data design manager at the DeBruce Foundation, a philanthropic organization dedicated to innovating the way people look for, prepare for, and pursue careers. He helps leaders tell data stories, increase engagement, and work to close that insight to action gap. Christopher Lobenthal is with us today. How are you, Christopher? So good to have you. I'm I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a big believer in what Pragmatic is trying to do, which is that idea of connecting people to solutions, because we have all of this data, more data than we've ever had in our whole life. And wouldn't it be nice if we could use it? Uh, I am so looking forward to you solving that problem for all of us today. I'm I'm excited. We we have titled the presentation communicating data effectively through design. And you're the big brain that's going to teach us how to do that today, Christopher. So without further ado, we turn the microphone to you. I will uh, pop in occasionally if folks have questions that are particularly relevant to a point that you're making. Or, and then, of course, at the end, I'll toss over any that we didn't have time to during. But with that being said, Christopher, the time is yours. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for coming on. And if you're watching this after the fact, thanks for, thanks for listening. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to teach. And every time I have a chance to be a part of a larger dialogue about how we become our best self and how we supercharge the organizations we work with, well, that, that makes for a good day. And I hope today's going to be a good day for you because I hope to solve a pain point that I think you may have run across. The look. So let me tell you a story about my previous employer. We would work really hard to land a prospect, like really hard. RFPs, follow-ups, lunches, the whole process. And we'd get through there. We would totally get through there to the finals. And what would happen is you know, we get into this presentation. Everyone was in their Sunday best. Absolutely. And no one's really saying anything. We're not getting a whole lot of questions. You know, we're, 
we're not getting a lot of frowns, but not a lot of smiles. And so you write it off as nerves. You write this look off as nerves. And so you go to the parking lot and you start doing the, uh, the review and it becomes a bit of an echo chamber. No, you did great. You did great because we would see each other's presentations several times. And of course we could see when that version of their talk was that much better. But you know who didn't see that presentation several times? The audience, right? They got to see it the one time. So we all get into the car and we go, okay, let's go back to work. A couple, day, a couple days or weeks pass and we get the call that we didn't get the, the prospect, the prospect data prospect for us and is now a client for somebody else. And that's okay. You know, uh, this happens as a circle of life for business. But the thing is, they say something. They say something that you clearly covered, right? And so it becomes challenging because you're like, oh, they didn't understand our value proposition. That was something we addressed. Now, if you're saying, hey, Christopher, I work in accounting. I work in uh, web design. I don't have a lot of prospect meetings. I hear you. Let me conjugate the verb. Change prospect and client to C-suite. Change parking lot to hallway or cubicle. Change lost client to made decision that you said not to make. Right? And that's because the moment their stare went blank, you got the look. That's the indication that, that you know, after you did a lot of work for it and a lot of prep for the product and a lot of learning to get there, that, you know, you'll, you lost them probably in the first few minutes. This is the pain point. Now, fun story. This is made up. I made up that story based on personal experiences at Lockton. And I was using it as a way to try to build support for data literacy learning in the corporate setting. And I provided this story to a salesperson to validate it. I said, hey, VP so-and-so. And I gave him the story. And I go, does this make sense to you? And the guy goes, makes sense to me. It happened to be last week. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then this is my new real fake story. It's both real and fake because it did actually happen, although I didn't live through it. So, okay, well, how do we handle the look? How do we avoid losing the audience? The biggest and best thing you can do is hack into their social and show them pick. No, that's not what this means. The best thing you can do is have a mindset shift. Have a worldview shift. Okay. Remember that they don't have your background. Remember that they don't have your training. Remember that they don't have your time. Remember that they don't have your tools. So you've got to both lean into that trust and build upon it. Right. And now this doesn't mean teaching them everything you know. That's the trap. Oh, well, I'll just do all the. No, 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 no. You have to think about what's most important to them. This is an old phrase that my previous employer used a lot, which is nobody cares about the pictures of your kids. They care about pictures of their kids. The loose translation here is people don't care about your challenges and problems. They care about their challenges and problems. And if you want to resonate, if you want to keep attention, if you want to educate and build, you need to be aware of their problems. So, all right, you're with me. You, 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 you chuckle to yourself quietly at the identity theft joke. So how can we break down these key areas of understanding? All right. So these are the big four today that we're going to go through. All right. And the top three about mindset, 
And the bottom one is actually application. So here's the part where I tell you today, you will walk away with this from this presentation with at least three things, at least three things that you can do that don't require you to have had a website that was presented to a presidential candidate or to have you know done data visualization for decade and a half or have an industry award. These things don't, no, you, everybody can do these. And you also don't have to be a, you know, a PhD to have to do this. We all represent data to different groups of people. If you've ever presented a budget to somebody, you're presenting data to a non-expert. But let's jump into that first thing, focusing on strategic context. It's the closest tie we have to pictures of their kids. Because, you know, companies don't live in a bubble, right? Companies always have a story. And that story is being driven by, you know, people, goal, status, and history, right? And so that's what's always where the decision is going to be made. The decision is going to be made within the context of how the company is thinking strategically. And if you skip this context unwittingly, you increase cognitive burden. Because this is what they're going to do. They have to conjugate what you say to the point. So let's, these are different companies and these are from their websites and these are key messages for them. Netflix is about moment of truth, right? At 7.15. Whole Foods is about quality. Putting smiles on everyone's face is, is Nintendo. These are all companies that I know something about. Good companies, to the best of my knowledge. So if you walked into that room and started with these numbers will help you put smiles on more faces. I swear to you, you're going to have more of their attention. If for no other reason than the fact that you showed them love and respect by doing your homework and knowing what the company's doing. Now, should key data features uh, people be invited to strategic meetings so that there's a better under? Yes, of course, of course, of course. But we can all do our homework. This is something that's very easy to do. And if you're unsure, this is where you can reach out to middle management or a direct manager. And say, okay, well, if you're just the analyst and you're trying to think about this, you can say to your, your department head, hey, what are you guys talking about in the meetings? What's the most important? How can I frame this so that decisions can be made based on this information? You know, today's number will help us keep quality up. In this presentation, we'll uncover how analysis helps us keep quality of food the highest. You know, if the connection is abstract, the, the ties will be, they will be weak. And the data is going to be abstract by its very nature. So everything else has to be a bit more concrete. So having an awareness of what's important for your place of business and or the, the person you're looking to work with is not only a sign of respect, it's, it's a way to achieve success. All right, focus. Never start with the methods. Nobody wants the methods first. Nobody was like, you know, where did you get that? Nope. If you're talking legit, legitimately, if you're talking to the C-suite, they're going to trust that to make it to that room, to make that presentation, that you know what you're talking about and that you've been filtered and vetted to a certain degree. So if you waste that precious seven and a half minute window on explaining the Simpsons paradox and not starting with the narrative, it's going to create more challenges. Because again, the attention span is small, particularly if you know, they, they're not strong in the area of data literacy or data visualization literacy. So I'll give you an idea. Uh, at training, 
I had three comments that would come up over the past few years consistently whenever I would train somebody on how to do really solid, rock solid design. I get, I don't have time for this, which is I'm like, do you have time for your audience to be confused? Because that's what you're doing. I get, oh, but I have to show them this. And that's true. That happens. And I've got a trick for that. That's one of the three tricks. Hang in there. Hang in there through the theory. We'll get to the tricks. And then the third thing was, and this shocked me every single time I heard an adult say it, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I know in my life, I've had at least three separate adults in a work setting when we were having a conversation about how to make their work the best, admitted a strong feeling of shame. I need you to think for just a possible moment that maybe in those, pe those people in the room are perhaps a little intimidated by you, that they like who you are, and that they think well of you, and that your best bet is to try to meet them where they are. And then close with methods, right? Because there's a strong chance that they might not feel good about themselves if, you know, they come into a meeting with you and everything goes sideways because it's knee deep into the regression analysis. And ending with the methods, by the way, if you start with like the what and the why, you know, you're like, oh, hey, the why is we want to put smiles on people's faces. And the best way to do that right now is to increase the sale of Nintendo Switches. Here's analysis for markets where Nintendo Switches are underselling. Here's key drivers of sales that are not present in there. Here's how we did it. But at the beginning, they get the whole headline. They get, oh, 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 smiles and sales are one and one. Okay, here's where we look. Very doable. I promise you. If you understand the Simpsons paradox or other, other biases built into you know, calculations and statistics, you can handle the stuff I'm talking about. This is easy. It's just a little counterintuitive. You know, when you're thinking about connecting with people, and this is pop culture reference number one of 500, best to think like a Hufflepuff. <laughs> think like a Care Bear, right? That's, that's going to get you further than, than thinking like a Slytherin. Although there's definitely places where thinking like a Slytherin is beneficial. That's a different presentation, though. So neutrality. Christopher. Uh, yes. I'm not jumping in just because you mentioned Harry Potter. I actually have a relevant question. Uh, right a couple questions in the chat. Do you mind if I back you up one point? A couple questions about strategic context. Oh, sure. Lay it on. Uh, yeah, let's, let's um, is utilizing strategic context just a way of saying use company buzzwords? Is that what we're trying to do? Are <laughs> yeah. we just trying to add a, a veneer that we have paid attention <laughs> to you know, the, the website, or is there more to it than just saying, I read that on your bio on the website, wink, wink, right? Yes, yes, and. So, and I know yes may not be the answer you're thinking of, but wait for the and, wait for the and. So let me explain the yes. The yes is a sign of respect is understanding the language another entity uses to describe themselves and reflecting that back to them. My wife, she's a counselor. And she's definitely counseled armed service members before. And as you can imagine, these folks, these heroes, have seen some things. And every now and again, they get, they get a bit of the potty mouth, of course. Anyone who lived that life would. And immediately they clam up and go, oh, uh, uh, sorry, ma'am. Like they've offended her. Now, at this point, my wife has a line that I can't say on a recorded audio <laughs> video. Understood, yes. <laughs> but she's reflecting those words back in a meaningful way to say, hey, I hear you. 
So yeah, understanding their language helps, but here's the key. This hinges on story. And on story means understanding the smile bit, clicking on the details bit, reading that bit, and understanding why they care about smiles, why they use those words. You should be doing a, a quarter of the work you do for the analysis you should do on the people you're presenting to, maybe a fifth. And so that means, yeah, reading some documents that are super boring and in corporate ease. It does not mean copping out because you know who this is very real for? The president there in the dang photo. That guy, it's real, real. And if you just throw out the words and you don't accurately apply them and you don't understand the story behind them and you don't accurately and correctly tie it to the problem, he's going to blow you out of the room because he's thinking you're trying to take advantage of him. Think about when you were a kid and you had a phrase that you and your kid friends used, and then your parent used it incorrectly. How did that make you feel? Awesome? Did it make you feel awesome? Or did you like sort of hate your dad at that moment? <laughs> that's, that's how it's going to play here. All right. So what's the second question? Gotcha. No, they were both the same. That's why, that's why I jumped in there just to clarify oh, that. We're not, we're not doing lip service. No, no, no. Um, the, 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 the language that you're using should actually reflect a, a, the, the deeper insight that you've gained from your research. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. All gotcha. right. So we're moving through focus. We're hitting up neutrality. Yeah. This slide is not applicable to academia. If you work in academia, feel free to take a moment. Scroll on your phone. Don't, don't leave the chat, but like, you know, uh, take a hot second. Okay. So in a corporate setting, they could care about bias. They could care. Not to say that we shouldn't be doing data the best possible way we can. It's not a live or die for them. They can take things with a grain of salt. And they often do because they know that no data is perfect. Now, does this mean we completely ignore all neutrality? No, because then that, <laughs> that stuff happens on that route too. I'm just saying that it's important to know that no design nor decision is ever truly objective. And that if they're making those decisions and you want to facilitate those decisions, you're probably going to have to take a little bit of a stance on something. Now, don't put your feet in the ground and say, this is the end all. But also, don't give them this chart and expect them to know that that's heteroscedastity, that the variance increases over the z-score. They're never going to know that. That's what they pay you for. They need to know that the data is bad and that you're working on it, you know? So it, it, look, I know that it's, let me put this in the positive. Those of you who find the courage to provide language that is in some level summary and explanatory versus purposely removed, you will find yourself likely invited to more meetings because the burden of the decision maker is lessened because they feel like they can relate to you. Because on some level, perhaps they feel like you care. But if you just show them a big old table and there's no coloring and there's no phrasing and there's no grouping and there's no title work, it's not gonna go well. You're gonna get the look. So let's zoom out for just a second. We had said that sometimes as designers of information, we run into these data literacy gaps where even though we have all this understanding, we struggle to get it across the table. And what I'm saying from a large-scale perspective is that it's mindset. 
but you have to understand what their context is. You have to understand what they're focused on. You have to understand that they're making decisions and you win the game if you facilitate those decisions. That's how this goes, you know, and understanding that they care and they can smell out BS like it's their job because it is. So even if even if they're not in a data background, if you're snowing them, they'll probably pick up eventually. So yeah, so truth, again, with the words. But I can almost hear it now. Okay, Christopher, I buy that this is a mindset shift. Mindset shift. I buy that they don't have my background. How? How can I make this stuff more accessible? Good question. Pro tip. Pro tip. Uh, this comes from Scott Baranato's book called Good Charts. If you get a chance, look it up. Good stuff. If you're presenting data, the best thing you can do, once you get a chart, count to five in your head. That's what I did there. When I counted to five, what did you do? Did you just look at your phone? Did you look at the ceiling? Or did you look at the slide? And when you looked at the slide, did you read some of the words? I'm willing to bet some of you read some of those words. That's what's going to happen if you do that as well. The other, the other advice on that from the Baronado book, just bonkers golden, is, is never, never, read the, never read the table or the chart completely. So your design should be the melody and the story you're telling should be the lyrics over it. You shouldn't be saying B flat, G flat, F, <laughs> F flat, B sharp. You should be saying key in this is blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so let's talk about hierarchical design. It's a great shortcut and you don't have to have two decades of, of this experience or have a Harvard Business Review book behind you or be Edward Tufte. You can do this. I promise you, you can do this. Data has a story, okay? And it can tell lots and lots of stories, but any story dictates importance, right? So like, let's think about the three little pigs. We hear a fair amount about the pigs and not a lot about the wolf, right? If we heard way more about the wolf, would it still be the three little pigs? No, it would be it might be if we use the same words, but it's it's hard to discern what story it is because we got all this wolf stuff added. Design is no different. Data is no different. You got to make sure that if you're doing the three little pigs, the pigs get the starlight. They get the they get the sunlight. They get the they get to be the center stage. Uh, you know, and, and this this component it, it, importance needs to be reflected in the design. So the best example I can think about people who communicate a lot in a short space is newspapers. I mean, they're still around. We were all very digital, right? I get that and understand that. But like New York Times is still making a fair amount of coin. So clearly they've done something right. And by the way, the New York Times, as well as the Washington Post, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't want to pick sides in that war. But they're doing something right if they're still around. So how can we how can we take some of those life things? How can we use hierarchical design, which means design based on the order of things? Okay. First, this is the first thing you can do. Super duper easy. You know that point you want to make? You know that point you want to make? The one thing you end up telling the guy in the hallway? That is your new title. The thing that you made your original title. That is now your subtitle. And then you, ref you delineate the difference of importance with maybe a lighter font, okay? 
with maybe smaller font. All right, these are different things. You know where the font size is. You can make you can make a sentence. You know this, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then the the key bonus points are for including strategic goals, right? And writing in phrases or full sentences. You can write in sentences if you want. Just make sure that everything's in sentences. Then I tend to go in phrases on account of I'll forget one, and then it'll be like phrase, 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 phrase. Period. Now, fun story, and this comes out of Dr. Evergreen's book on how to use Excel like a pro. Dr. Evergreen, Stephanie Evergreen, amazing book. And it's a cookbook style. So if you've done like Python cookbook stuff, it's like that, but for Excel charts and graphs. It's a great resource. This is a woman who has a career doing stuff with the UN and the Department of Defense and the Pentagon and the White House and a number of other folks in, in large nationwide Fortune 500 companies. And she does it all in Excel. I say that again. She presented to President Obama. President Obama had said in private, and she got an email forwarded her with this comment, that he really liked her work. And it was all Excel-based. So you don't need Tableau, although I love Tableau. That's my jam. And lots of love for my Power BI people. But like, you can do this. It's just about things like headlines. So let's show you an example of a normal chart or a normal title. Did you, did you take time to read it? I counted to five. That's how I did it. Because it, what happens with the math of that is, is what happens is it's hard for you to have that voice in your ear and then reading your head as well. And when people read a chart, they're reading in their head. And so when you have those two voices conflicting, people tend to pick one. And they tend to pick the one where they're listening and they don't have to work as much because our brains like to be lazy sometimes. Yeah. So, all right. What would this look like, right? National distribution of graduation rates over five years waiting for school size. So we've got the caveat, we've got the time range, and we've got the blandest way of saying this. This is not the take-home point. There's a take-home point. Let's show you what that take-home point is. Okay, so what have I done here? What have you done? I've led with a sentence, right? I went back and forth on whether or not to give you advice on sentences or phrases. It's not a perfect art, y'all. Uh, there's a bit of back and forth on that. Anyway, grad rates increased nationwide. This is the thing. They're trying to decide. Remember context. Our job is to make sure kids get to and through college. We do this by investing mentors and investing dollars. We need to know what's going on with the graduation rate. And you go, national distribution of graduation rates over five years. Like they're done. They're done. They're gone. They've left you. You get the look because you're forcing them to trifle through it. But if you lead with the point, grad rates increase nationwide. Now, this is not a heavily biased statement. I'm sure when you saw the bias slide, you're like, he wants me to be some sort of flamethrower and put my, this is safe. They did increase. That is the point. You know, and then notice smaller font under. And because I didn't want to make the font too small, I lightened, I lightened the color of the final font below it. Uh, also, fun fact, you can get rid of legends by if you color code the title. So then if I make the increase for the chart, well, let's look at other stuff. We're going to get there. All right. So first trick, headlines. You can, you can juice them up. Even if you have no control over the image at all, corporate's giving you the image. And you, if you take that image and you come back here and you show them this title, they're paying attention. You've got them. But sometimes you have a chance to impact the, the actual visual. So how do you do that? Well, the thing is, people tend to associate saturated colors with significance. 
So when our eye looks at this, it goes, oh, these four are equal. They're not equal. These are not equal things. They're sums of a whole. So what can you do? Well, first off, again, always be aware of brand colors, brand standards. If you don't have that already in your Excel, reach out to communications. I assure you someone in comms will cry. They'll be like, the analysts, they want our branding colors. Like that's that's because you saved them one step. It, you'll make a friend, I promise. So, okay, so how do you show relationship? How do you show parts of a whole without having it be kind of like oversaturated? Hmm. See what I did there? You take the color and you turn up the opacity. So that's the same color. And I right-clicked on it, format shape or whatever, opacity 75%, opacity 50%, opacity 25%. Now, if you don't want to get all tricksy like that, I hear you. You can just use on uh, Excel, they have that little color thing and you have the different scaled tiers of the color. There you go. All right. So that is pop of color one. Let me show you pop of color two. All right. I'm going to give you a second to look at that chart and tell me if you know what's important about it. You don't have to say so in the, in the chat. I'm just figurative here. I can, I can say so. I think looking at that chart that it's uh, using brand colors. Is that what's important about it? No, 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 no. It's that one of these three continued dominance uh, over the 12 months. See, I, didn't, I didn't see that in the first chart. <laughs> You're right. Because saturation means equal. So when our eyes look at the first chart, they go, well, these are all the same. And so what happens is you end up looking at the difference between orange in February and orange in, you know, March, April, May, or blue in, in March and blue in April, because you're trying to see where the, where the variance is. But the, but the largest variance between January and December in this thing, so it's just simple as graying it out. But we can go a different step. We can go a step further than this, right? So this is called, you know, coloring by significance. So did you know you can color any of the individual columns in Excel, you just like double click on one. So if you want one to be black or you, you, or you want one to be yellow, click on the series, okay? Fill color black, then click on the, the one bar you want to be yellow, click on it once, click on it twice. Now you're just coloring that and then color that and Bob's your uncle. So it's, it, these are very doable things. And again, if you're looking for tips on, on some chart types, Dr. Evergreen's got you covered. Dr. Abuela has an excellent chart selector. He's got a nomenclature in there on different types of charts through comparison or whatever. But there's a hot, what chart to use is a hot discussion topic in my field. So let's keep moving. Christopher, I've got a, I've got oh, a sure. question. I've got a good question for this chart and then a, a commendation as well. First, the commendation. Prashant in the chat did point out that it was the green bar that was increasing. Prashant's got better, oh, eyes, good for you. better eyes than I do. So nice job, my friend. Good eyes, good eyes. But the the question, I think this, this is an important one. First, uh, a warning. You know, so many companies use what Jay in the chat is calling the traffic light colors, red, yellow, and green. Ooh. Yes. You have the risk of looking like everybody else. Maybe if, if you do that, that, that might be a risk, but the bigger concern, this one came up in the chat. What about those in your audience who may have color blindness? Yeah. Would so this even work? 
all the time. Uh, with the CEO, you are you're targeting directly, like can't see green. What do you do? Oh. <laughs> well, first off, if the CEO can't see the brand company colors, that's a discussion that communication that be, should that have with the CEO. Issue, perhaps yes. If the CEO can't see the brand colors, that's a problem. Uh, that's before me. So there are different ways to get at that. There are absolutely different ways to do that. So we're going to talk about stoplights and how stoplights. I want to say like one in five men are colorblind to some degree. And there's some great websites out there, none of which are coming to my mind at the moment. We, My wife and I pulled some of them up. My son's colorblind. And there are great websites where you can take the image and throw it in there. And it'll show you what the image looks like to a colorblind eye. But yeah, so red, yellow, green. <sighs> it's It's a sticky wicket. Because on the one hand, you never want to fight cultural norms. And our norms are built around that. That's for dang sure. Because the more you fight cultural norms, the more likely that people are going to struggle in understanding. What do I mean by that? You're probably not going to want to use red for good because you know red for good is going to lead to challenges. That's a cultural norm. Red's bad for America. Red's good for other countries, but for America, it's associated with bad. My advice would be not to have red, yellow, and green on the same chart if possible. And then on the topic of stoplights, this is a cool kind of pivot. There's a magic word called double encoding. A stoplight in itself is double encoded. Now, you might be asking yourself, what the heck does that mean? I'm not that guy that figured out green was going up without the color change. That guy's awesome. That guy's my hero. <laughs> but I promise you, plenty of C-suite people aren't. Anyway, we'll leave that sentence as a hang on. But double encoding means you're putting the information in more than one way on top of each other. So if you were 100%, like you had like dog vision, like black and white almost, and you went to a stoplight, you could still technically use it, right? The top one is stop. The middle one means slow down. The bottom one means green. That means the height order encodes the data as well as the color. So how do we do that here? There are, you right click, you go to fill, and then you can layer on top of it like stripes if you want to, and you have different types. I would shoot for lots of littler things rather than having lots and lots of stuff, right? So you can go that route. You can put a border on the greens. You can make the greens 3D. All of these things would work with somebody who's colorblind on green. You could put a border on it and make it 3D. Now, by 3D, don't be giving me them the three-dimensional pivot. No, no, that's, no, please don't do that. The only 3D that's acceptable, in my professional opinion, is the shading in the background, where it's ever so. I used it here a couple of slides ago. Let me go back. These are 3D. They're not super-duper distracting. They have a border. You could do this. So being aware of colorblindness is amazing. And, you know, I think a great sign of respect to the people you work with and the people in your life. Good for you for bringing that up. You can use textures and other ways to double encode it, as well as 3D and, and outline. But let's talk about those notes, right? Because there are notes here. The fine print for me is like, it's like luggage, like luggage in an airline. It goes above Above you, that is to say, it's a subtitle. It goes above you in the overhead compartment. 
it goes below you. That is to say, you know, it goes on your lap. That is to say, it's a pop out on the chart itself. That's tricky. There's ways to do that. We're not going to cover that today, but you could do that, but it requires you to do a couple other things, but it's doable. Or, you know, it goes in the cargo, it goes below your feet, either under the chair or below the feet in the hold here on the bottom. Remember the whole bit earlier where I was like, oh, it's super important that you go out of your way to make sure that you start with the what and the why and you close with the how. This is closing with the how, right? And if they want to read it, because the way that the human eye reads a chart, they first look for, this is a Webster's research on this. You first look for the variance. So that is to say where the largest color differential or shape differential is, then often people will look to the scale for reference, and then they'll look to the title. So they're coming to this bottom last, and that's okay, because by the time they've come there, this is a caveat. This is going to impact how they view everything. So they need to get the story together. Ooh, green. Okay, for the year. Oh, it's grad rates. All right, then. Oh, but they weighted it. Okay, there you have it. So that's so the first trick is headlines, headlines, headlines. Second trick is bust out a pop of color. Third trick is don't be afraid to put some fine print under the chart. Now, I want to show you kind of the fourth trick. I know I said three, but I'm a liar. So let's show you four. So earlier before, remember I had those three comments, the shame comment and why that why we should be acting out of compassion as much as we can. And we talked about the, I have to show this scenario. I don't have the time. Well, I mean, you have time to at least fix the headlines, right? Like you wrote the headlines, you have time to fix the headlines. But the middle one is, you know, here, I have time for the headlines. I have to show it. So there's a trick I call show and tell. So what show and tell is going to do is you introduce a chart that has a narrative. And that narrative is reflected both in the choice of the chart type in the titling itself, title and subtitle, in the coloring as well on the bottom notes. And then you take that same color scheme, or again, if you're working with a certain audience, texture scheme, into the next slide using a table. So let's see what that looks like. Did everybody get that the mobile went up? Did everybody get that or just the one guy? Everybody get it? Yeah, everybody got it. That's the point. I often, because again, as a data design manager, like I... I manage the design of data here. I've got this rule and it's a high standard. But like, if someone picks up the phone to call me to explain something, I feel like on some level, I didn't do my job to the best of my ability. It should be very clear. Should be crystal clear. Yeah. And if you're like, you didn't highlight store and paper, don't care. (laughs) It wasn't the point. It's okay. Those are secondary points. But I hear you though. We need to know store and paper. We need to have that distribution. We need to know the totals for every month. Uh, 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 hold on a second. You just have the table next. You just have the table next. So let me show you again. You have a title, a headline that reads like a headline or a news title. You provide extra detail and smaller, maybe even lighter font at the bottom. Notice again, in this instance, the green and the gray kind of match so that you don't have to have a legend. Notice I cut out between February and November because humans are pretty good at going one, two, three, four, that's April. And because it doesn't really matter what individual month is. It doesn't matter what individual month is. The matter is that the green went up consistently. That's the point. And if you're able to kind of zero in on that point, you can make the document look like it. We even there have the 
the little note at the bottom. But then knowing our audience is going to want to see it, we carry a version of the green here at the bottom. And again, this background can be texture background. It can be, uh, you know, slightly grayed wavy lines. And this can be wavy lines on it. Textures there are fine. But I've also bolded it. When you have, oh, this is a great, 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 great tip. When you have a lot of text, when you have a lot of text and you can't get around it, maybe it's legal text. Maybe you've hit your method slide. The thing I want you to consider is using bold like a bullet point. So that is to say, people will naturally read the bold first. So if you have a sentence and the key part of the sentence is weighted, weighted results, bold weighted results. This data uses weighted results. Fabulous, weighted results. I get you may got to say the whole sentence. That's fine. I'm not going to judge that. That's I worked for insurance. And before that, I worked in the philanthropic sector again. And in both instances, and I'm back here, you know, it was the current paperwork. There's paperwork in these fields, right? Because there's money to be moved through and, and programs to be supported. And, and perhaps in the case of coffin grants to be given. So yeah, so I've definitely had my fair share of text to kind of power through. And so yeah, bolding is a superpower. And again, you can totally do that. You know what the most important part of the sentence is? You know control B. If you don't know control B, now you do. You don't know what to say if you don't know control B. All right, so we have now hit the end here. So I will kind of open up here for questions outside of the ones that were already asked, unless there's follow-up on those. And We do. We have, we have several questions coming in. Christopher, that was brilliant. Thank you. What an incredible <laughs> addition to our Data Chats webinar series. So much fun. I was engaged because you're crossing over with some visual design stuff here that is my is my bread and butter. So yeah, we got some questions. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna grill you with some gotcha questions here in a second. Hope you're hope you're ready for that. Uh, but the oh, <laughs> I'm not gonna take it easy. Just because we're both Legend of Zelda fans, I'm not gonna take Big it easy. Fans. Folks, if you are hungry for more on the topic of presenting insights to stakeholders. Check out Pragmatic Institute's course called Business Driven Data Analysis. That is an interactive masterclass. You'll learn how to communicate data more effectively, how to communicate complex data, how to frame findings with compelling storytelling and engage the stakeholders. All the things that we've talked about today, we dig it and we get into it deep in business driven data analysis. There is a slide up for it. And I believe Ingrid, our uh, assistant for the day, can stick a link in the chat so you can see more about that. There, the commercial stuff is done. Um, sorry, it's a good, it's, it's a good class. It had to I, I know one of the teachers of it. It's a good class, I good, might say. Good. So I'll and add the, my bit for the commercial. All an right, endorsement. You Thank you, there Christopher. You Lovely. The next of those sessions starts June 13th. So click on that, jump over there. But now we get to the, the juicy, we get to the grill Christopher portion of the presentation <laughs> today. Please do. I'm going to start. Here's a, here's a question from Jake in the Q&A. Jake says, oh, this should be an easy warm up for you, Christopher. Can you show the names of the authors you referenced who have works on chart building? It was perhaps Evergreen and someone. Who was that? that oh, you mentioned? all right. Number one is Scott Baronado, Good Charts by Harvard Press Review. All right. That is a lovely, blurry, Blur uh, it, there probably go. a book. Okay, there we go. There Got it. Good Charts. That's number one. This guy will change your life. He speaks in the King's English. He doesn't get highfalutin. And he's funny. So yeah, he's even got a chapter on data ethics, which he doesn't need to, but he does. And I really appreciate it. 
Number two. Number two. Number two is going to be Dr. Stephanie Evergreen and Effective Data Visualization 2. What I love about this book is in the title cover, it's, oh man, this is just killing me. I will just read it to you. We will go that route. I'm done being blurry here. Uh, She's got a quantitative chart chooser on the inside. She's got a qualitative chart chooser on the outside of it. And then this book takes you step-by-step with pictures on how to make it. Click this menu. Here's a picture of the menu. Click this toggle. Here's a picture of the toggle. And then the third one on my list that I love, and this is a reference more than it is a, a book to study, it's the Wall Street Journal's Guide to Information Graphics. And I love the Wall Street Journal stuff. I love the Pew Charitable Trust stuff. I love how, how focused and distilled it is. I've taught classes in the companies that I've been with, and I always, always mention these three books. Now, if you want to get snotty, you could bring out Tufty, but let's just start with these books. These will get you going. The, yeah. Uh, Edward Tufty's for the, the true geeks out there. We know. Yeah. We know. Yeah. You'll get there. Because, uh, yeah. So Wall Street Journal is a reference. Stephanie Evergreen's a cookbook. And Baronado is a good old-fashioned, you know, explanatory manual, but in the King's English. All right, what's next? And you will notice because uh, Ingrid's internet skills are top-notch, as you were speaking, she has posted links to every single one of those references in the chat, folks. Isn't she amazing? I love Ingrid. She's amazing. She is amazing. All right, Christopher, here's a question that came in. I I love this one because, you know, as a, a visual designer by trade myself, this is something that I didn't figure out for quite some time. Mm-hmm. How many levels of hierarchy should be present in a well-designed visual? Just Ooh. a headline and then everything else? Or like 10 levels of descending visual hierarchy, all of them denoted by various colors, font sizes, boldness. What, hey, uh, what are we talking so, about here? Okay, so uh, different, different authors, different scholars, because... Evergreen's a doctor, are going to give you different opinions. Stacey Evergreen's going to say, a chart should only tell one story. So you're talking a title, you're talking an explanatory thing under it, you're talking a thing under uh, at the bottom. Maybe one call out, okay? It should be focused, particularly if it's a part of a series of slides. Bernardo would contend that it depends on your audience. Again, academia. You can get, I'll give you an example. Fan of Lord of the Rings, and online yesterday, I saw a complete cataloging of every character in every Tolkien book ever, and it was done in a timeline. I would not give this visual to my mother. I would not. I, however, someone who loves the content and someone who loves charts could totally read it. So there are certain audiences you need to take advantage of. Again, this is, this is the uh, data literacy awareness component, right? C-suite, because the time is tight, and because they've got so much to worry on and so much to think about, you're probably better off with one story or one component per slide and then have that whole deck lead you through the argument, right? Just think about how I set this deck up, right? We started with the pain point. Then we went into the overarching theory. Then we went through the examples of the theory. And then we ended in application, right? You can follow a similar trend there. So it depends on your audience, but in corporate settings, you're probably going to want to have one per. Now, when we're talking about hierarchy, are we talking about at the presentation level? You just gave us an outline of the presentation you just gave us in about four or five bullet points. That's Mm -hmm. hierarchy at the presentation level. 
but are we or are we talking about hierarchy at the in this case slide level where you had a headline and bullet points two levels of hierarchy on a slide or or do we need to be aware of all of that at the same time uh so this is this gets into the fact that this is both art and science as a general rule i try not to have more than three lines at the top of a slide i just don't and in fact i prefer not to have more than three phrases on a slide that has a chart in general so if i have two at the top a headline and a subtitle and in my subtitles my preference is to kind of add the most important of the caveats that they have to have maybe the name of the data set maybe how many n there were you know i did a thing once for a job and the title of the visual was uh, burbank has a sleep problem and the subtitle was something in the neighborhood of comparing you know uh, cdc data on neighborhood health trends show that the largest trend uh, that kind of thing right and then it goes into it but like yeah i would i would be wary of anything more than that even with an academic setting because if you're looking at it i'll put it this way here's a good test if you could explain it to somebody who's not in your department without having to say ignore that part focus on just my voice right now you've won correct there have been more than one time in my professional career both at previous employers and doing consultant work where I've seen somebody go, just focus on this thing over here. Well, if I'm just to focus on this thing over there, then maybe the other stuff needed to be in a different slide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so to speak to the hierarchy within a slide, I would I would keep it to you know one focus point, maybe maybe two, maybe three lines, not much more than that. Now, if you want the bottom line to be a pop up and a call out, you can do that. That's fine. That's great if you have a pivot point. That's very key. We didn't have a pivot point in our example. It was a straight line, more or less. But yeah, okay, good. Did I, did awesome. I get at what your question is? Yeah, you did. I think you did. Yeah, hierarchy. Man, that's juicy stuff. So powerful. Uh, I've got I've got like three more questions that people have submitted. I think we can get to it. We got time. Are you good, yeah. Christopher? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. All right. Here is one. Can you describe a time when you had to modify a data visualization to better communicate the information? What changes did you make? And why? They're looking for some specifics from you, Christopher. Tell us when you had to do it. Well, my work is perfect every time. What are you talking uh-huh, about? Uh-huh. Never, never. It's <laughs> first time out. Done. It's perfect every time. No. Uh, so, so stuff that you can do to help and then stuff that pitfalls I fall into. Pitfalls I fall into, I tend to overcut, right? There are some in here, by example, I'll give you the, the, the access. I know that people can fill in and I'm comfortable with there being another table after that slide, with the access saying January, December, but some people might want more. So that's something that I run into, like I'll, I'll overly cut and they'll go, okay, with your talk tech, I get it, but I didn't get it without the talk track. And I'm like, ee. all right. So in that instance, if I overcut, what do I do? I do a couple of things. First thing is I look at the access. I look at the reference point for which they're comparing the visual thing that is going up and down or larger or smaller or whatever. And I see, is there more information I could put there too? I look at what I'm doing with the color. Is the color aligned with what the point is? Or is the color just showing me a different person? Three, I don't mind doing data labels on a couple of individual points, right? So there was one where I had the high and the low and I had colored it and I had a, a line chart, a dual access chart where it's a line chart and an area chart. 
on top of each other so I could have that nice gradient on the area chart so it looked like it was kind of raining almost. It was fantastic. And they're like, yeah, but I want it. And, and the point was, wowzers, we had some highs. But they said, we want to know these specific highs. And so the revisit on that was to click once and then a second time on the individual dot and have a data layover for that dot. And I did that for the three or four top high ones. And then they loved that chart. That chart got a lot of legs. And so, you know, the key here is you're creating something for them to consume. And so try your damnedest not to take offense, but it's really hard because this is, this spills into the art world and the graphic design world. And if you're doing it right, you're putting yourself a bit of yourself into it and to go up to somebody and go, now tear apart my work, go for it. It, it never gets easier, but what does get easier is, is having vulnerability in general and knowing that the people here are just trying to make you better. Really? And, and you just, you began to touch on the theme of the, the last two questions that we've got here, which is about you know, you're putting your stuff in front of people and getting mm-hmm. feedback. So a good example here, this question, what role does user feedback and testing play in your data visualization and design process? How do you do that? Uh, you know, at Pragmatic Institute, we're all about listening to the market, yep, 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 utilizing yep. that as a research. Can this you is a big question. That into your into your visualization work. The analogy I use is, okay, first off, there are some hills not to die on. There are some hills not to die on. Let me tell you, politically speaking, if the CEO comes in and they want it to be red and you've explained it and you've shown it non-red and you showed this, that, and the other, there are times in which you may say, we're going to let this be read, even though it's wrong because his name is on the building and my paycheck. Right. Or her name is on the building and the paycheck. So there are times where that is. But let's assume that this is not one of those times. Let's assume that you're taking user feedback in and you have some discretion. The analogy I want to give you is patient and surgeon. The job of the patient is to tell you everything they can about the pain they're feeling. It hurts when I hiccup. It hurts when I laugh. When I stand, I lean slightly to the left. Every second step, my bottom foot hurts, right? Because the doctor's job is to look at that desperate information and figure out a diagnosis. Just like your job is to take that desperate information and figure out a design. Now, it doesn't always mean that you're going to do exactly what they're going to say. In fact, most times you won't. But what you'll do is you'll uncover the underlying pain point and design for that. I'll give you an example. I'm doing something that had a beautiful word cloud in it, and the lead-in had 800 items in it. I couldn't do that. Well, and I was using some other filtering mechanism with color. So if you touched a box, the word cloud would change in color, shape, and size. And people were like, this is still too big. You need to chunk it down. Now, what they actually said was, I don't think a word cloud's going to work here. This should not be a word cloud. This should be a bar chart. I'm like, that's, no, you're, you're, you're wrong. I didn't say that out loud. I said, thank you for giving me your feedback. I appreciate your time. Can we write that down? And then when I went back to my room, I'm like, what's bugging them? Oh, it's bugging them because in all of these word charts, there's 800. They need a way to limit. And so I added a limiting factor. I added a, I added a filter to these things. And lo and behold, suddenly everybody loves the word cloud. You got to lean in your understanding. You got to build that expertise and lean into it. So just listen to 
it hurts when I laugh and, and when I have the hiccups and know that maybe, maybe it's a hernia, right? <laughs> but be sure to thank them for it. And then when you roll it out, you've got to shower praise on them. That's super important. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to so-and-so and you know, they, they, they weren't getting this chart. Notice how I'm reframing that politely. They just weren't getting the chart. That's true. She wasn't, or he wasn't. And the key of it was, it was too much. Look at this now. It's way more focused. Tell me your thoughts on this thing. Oh, so it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to do and it requires a higher level of emotional intelligence than, you know, just working in the mailroom. No hate to my mailroom people. Important. <laughs> Thank you. Next question. That makes so much sense. You know, uh, Christopher, I could I could easily sit here and geek out with mm. you on this topic for days. Days. Absolutely. We would just we would just waste away talking about this. I want to respect everyone's time. Mm-hmm. Some of these folks in our audience got to go actually do their jobs so they can make money. <laughs> uh, yes. And you know, <laughs> with that being said, if we didn't get to someone's question today. Where might they be able to reach out to you if they wanted to approach you on some of these topics again in the future? I used to have a Twitter handle that was that I used PHBOB, but I don't really use it that much. And Twitter's kind of gone crazy. Uh, <laughs> LinkedIn is the best bet. LinkedIn. So if you look up my name and to Bruce, I assure you'll find me on LinkedIn. And if you hit me up with uh, for a connection and you mention this thing, I yeah. will approve that. And then we can kind of message in that way. Look, I... I've helped people a lot with this kind of stuff. I love this stuff. Don't hesitate to reach out. I may not get you immediately, but I promise I'll get back to you if you got a question. Well, your passion shows. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel it. I'm sure that our audience feels it well. Uh, and don't be surprised if you if you get some hits on uh, LinkedIn then. So there you heard <laughs> I like it, folks. That. Christopher Lobenthal, LinkedIn. Ask him all of your visual design questions. He'll get back to you immediately is what I just heard, right, Christopher? <laughs> exactly what i heard (laughs) folks thank you so much for joining us today for our data chats webinar series if you're interested in the next of the pragmatic institute webinar series coming up jump over to pragmaticinstitute.com you can click on our events tab to see everything that we've got coming up and christopher this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for being here. I'm going to hit you up on LinkedIn and expect the response immediately. (laughs) Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, gang. Have a fantastic afternoon.